Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Unfiltered Coffee Podcast. I am Spencer Adekatis, green buyer and head roaster for Peixoto Coffee. Hey, guys, my name is Eddie Padilla. I'm a former store manager and coffee educator through Arizona Coffee Social. We are your hosts. In this podcast, we aim to catalyze conversations around coffee science, business, ethics, philosophy, culture, and tasting. We are so thankful to have you, and now on to the show. Our guest today is Danielle Mendoza. He has led an interesting career in coffee, working for many different coffee roasteries around the country, including Buddy Brew Coffee in Miami, as well as Corvus and Huckleberry in Denver. He then moved into the world of specialty tea, where he helped bring specialty tea to specialty coffee shops across the West Coast. He is now working at Cropster, where he does support and sales. We discuss his work in judging roasting competitions, roasting software, specialty tea, and much more. Now onto our conversation with Danielle. Let's just let's just get right into it, man. I'm kind of interested to hear yeah. what's what's your background. How did you get into coffee? What what has like your career's been in the past? I'm gonna I'm gonna make it like the shortest as possible. Okay. I was managing a bed and breakfast in Bogota. Before that, I studied international business, and then I uh, went with a friend of mine. His mom decided to create like a flower company to export. Not flowers, but uh, in the beginning was flowers, tropical flowers like heliconias and the lilies. I forget the other names. Like, and then we started that company. And then this guy from Cali, he was like a business guy. He decided to invest in that company. So I have to move to Cali. That's south of Bogota, where I'm from. And then his brother, the flower thing was really hard because when you export flowers from Colombia, if they find any little bug, they will burn the thing out right so we got some exports but it was really really hard and then his brother wanted a company because of the name and i did the logo and all that stuff he really liked it and then he decided to use it to export fruits so he hired me we sold the company and then he hired me to do all the exports of the fruits which that's where i learned about all the fruits and the farming like the producing of the fruits in valle del cauca I got really tired of that because that's also really tedious. You have to go to the port, all this paperwork, police, and all that stuff was really horrible. Then I moved back home and I started just to switch completely. Met my wife and then my wife, in order to her parents to trust Colombia, we took him to this downtown where my family lives in Bogota, Candelaria is the name of that. And then there is a bed and breakfast where we stay and they hear me like, speaking in English. So they offered me the job. I ended up managing that place. And then that was in 2011 where the World Barista Championship was happening in Bogota. And then the judges, some of them, I think one of the best judges the SCA had back then, they were staying in my hotel. It was the Uber Fox from Linea Cafe. They sold the company to Intelligentsia. I forgot where this guy from Machina was working there. Amber Fox was working there and Andrew Burnett was working there. I forget the name. I should. Either way, they sold that company to Intelligentsia and that's where she was working and she moved to Bows and Arrows in Canada. But that's where I met her and then Anthony from a famous coffee shop in Gainesville, Florida, uh, Volta. He was one of the uh, coffee judges. Uh, Anthony Rue is a film photographer as well. and He does developing film with coffee grounds. That's another guy that you should check out. That's cool. So either way, they were the judges there. 
in my talks, they wanted to visit places. So I told them to go to this market where they can find all the fruits, uh, Palo Quemado, closer with Herbert's offices. That's Palo Quemado. So they went there and they came back. Like, my word, it was amazing. All the fruits, all the flavor will there. So then Anthony told me, when well, you should check out the World Barista Championship. And I always thought I was drinking the best coffee in the world, like Juan Valdez <laughs> and all that crap. And then, and then he took me there and it was mind-blowing. I was like crazy, all these espresso machines. And then he took me to the booth where these guys were, they were just starting handsome roasters, where they were there brewing coffee. So I think I think I still have that paperwork when they show those, those like recipes. And, and then even one night when I was at the hotel, this guy came in, uh, the guy who works for a blue bottle, I forget his name, that also what used to be in handsome roasters. He was the champion, US champion, right? Phillips or something like that, I forget. Mm -hmm. So that was it. That was how I entered. So he told me, dude, when you get to the US, let me know. And then he showed me like kind of the path. I ended up working, starting at Starbucks because my English sucks. So then I got a job at Body Brew and that's how everything started. So how did you end up moving to Colorado? Sure. How, did you, how did you work at Spirit? So I started working for a Spirit like by accident. I got to meet him because we have a mutual friend, Nate used to be the east coast guy for spirit he told me about i met jordan at corvus he went to did a tea a tasting and i was roasting and that's how we met but you know who cares about tea when you are in coffee you just don't pay attention to tea and then he decided to come back so i i was i'm really good friends with a lot of shops so i took him around and my first tea tasting it was mind-blowing mm -hmm. mind-blowing because of you know when you are a roaster and there is two kinds of roasters right you are the roaster that just are waiting for feedback for coffee industry and the other roaster that loves the feedback for customers so one of my struggles was the coffee people never told you like the honest feedback they always like struggle yeah. and but then yeah. i use my mom and then i I remember taking always different mm -hmm. regions from wash coffees and she never could figure out the difference between right the this is nariño Willa, you have to know acidity but at the end of the day for them sometimes it's hard to understand acidity or floral notes and so on or herbals but these three black teas man you take three black teas from china show it to her she can definitely describe each of them because tea is just aromas right versus coffee is more like flavor so aromas are easier to describe for that's why when you are hungry, but you smell the, the food making, then you are hungry. You are not yeah. tasting it. That's tea. So, yeah. So then after that, uh, because it was not a full-time, it was a part-time, Huckleberry was looking for, I'm really good friend with Kevin. He offered me the job. Huckleberry is a really good company to work for. That was kind of safe my mind about uh, business owners, especially coffee people. And Cohen is a really good boss, cares a lot for his people and, uh, then because of the help that I was working at Cockleberry and Spirit Tea, then Spirit Tea said, no, let's just do it full time. And then boom, man, three years there. Wow. And then, you know, you're a salesperson, but you want more. Yeah. No more money. But I was just, just selling tea. I love the tea, but I, I wanted to do something else that I can. I'm old, dude. So I wanted to keep growing and I'm a really good friend of Cropster team. And, and Devin, I'm now Devin since I was at Body Brew. So since okay. 2012, I think. And I was kind of helping them on the side. Like when I see people struggling with crops, I help them. So he offered me the job and I took it. And right as I took it, um, COVID hit. So that was kind of interesting. And in between all that, I was doing roasting competition. I was judging. And that's how I met Herbert through Matt. 
Matt was one of the engineers, designers or something like that for San Franciscan. Met Matt here where he, there was an interesting guy that you guys should look up. Uh, I was roasting at Corvus. He was sitting on the bar all the time, drinking coffee, say a word. And then on the weekend, we like took my girls, my little girl, to get to Sweet Bloom. He was mm-hmm. freaking installing the, the, they have a 70, a 70 kilo, I forgot which machine is it. Paper bag he was, yeah, yeah they, he was the installer of that. And I <laughs> said, dude, you were sitting in my bar and never say a freaking word, nothing like that. <laughs> so then we become good friends and he's such a nice guy. Any questions about equipment, which tells you a lot because if you are there and he didn't even try to sell me a San Francisco. That that tells a lot about the person. So that yeah. was a good one. And that's how I was judging. I told him my experience with green coffee. He told me, dude, I, you need to meet this producer. You need to meet this guy. I said, no, man, I don't want to meet any Colombians. <laughs> <laughs> one Colombian is good, too. Is, uh, yeah, too much. And he told me, dude, you need to meet this guy. And then I ended up meeting him. And then, boom, man. Yeah. So you guys did that here. You didn't meet in Colombia. I thought no, you No, no, yeah, no. I met him at Reno. Reno, Nevada, how you pronounce yeah. that? Reno, Reno. Reno? Was it at the comp? Yeah, I met him there in a roasting competition. Did you compete there? Yeah, I was. I was there. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. That's awesome. I was judging there. And... That was a weird competition. Reno is such a weird city for that. Yeah. And my boss, Jordan, back then, because they support me in the judging, which was good. He put me in a hotel. He says, dude, this is a hotel closer to your, the convention or wherever you are. I think it was a scary, man. <laughs> <laughs> there were some scary spots for sure. We stayed at Airbnb there, and these people were crazy, man. The guy like was like a retired rock star, what? and so he, his house was wild. Like there was crazy shit all over the walls. Like it was like a fun house. It was. It was I funny. mean, I felt like it was in a scary movie, dude. <laughs> that motel. I never stay in a motel like that. That you go out and there's the parking outside. You know. Yeah. The smell of the room, dude, the water, that was rough. When was Reno? Reno, what was that, two or three years ago? Yeah, I think four maybe, dude. Was it four? God, yeah, because I started with the Spirit, like, I, I stayed with them almost three years. So, no, no, yeah, maybe three years. I was just yeah. starting with them. Yeah, yeah, three years. Well, yep. I, I want to talk a lot about Cropster, but yeah, I... I think I think first I didn't really have a ton of questions on this, but I, I guess I had a little bit. But tell tell me a little bit about how you got into the judging and and your involvement there. I, think that's I wanted really to do. I always wanted to do something, right? Like I was a struggling roaster. I learned from Phil, the head roaster at Body Brew. But mm-hmm. I wanted to learn more, man, more and more, and nobody teach you, right? Back yeah. then, it was just all a secret, like secret recipes, and it was all about provats. And then when I was at Corvus with this Gissen man that I just don't like Gissens, I struggled so much with that machine. And then my wife, when she went to school, she has a friend. His name is Nathaniel May. Now he's at, yeah. I don't know where he works out. It's in a, that uh, Barista's Pacific. Milk Pacific. Yeah, totally. yeah Pacific. Oh. Yeah, Pacific. So she asked him if I can stay. They were doing a coffee fest, right? Like, mm-hmm. You think like, man, Coffee Fest sounds amazing. They were doing it at Portland. So my wife asked him, hey, can you help us stay in there? So, yeah, yeah. So we stay in his house. And what's funny was Joe Morocco was staying at his house as well. Oh, cool. So I, I, I started talking with Joe Morocco a lot. And then after a while, he he was doing classes at Cafe Imports. I don't know if you remember back in the day, he was doing a, uh, roasting classes. Yep, yep. 
So the Corvus said, so he emailed me, dude, there is the next opening for a class that I'm doing this time or whatever. And then I asked the guy from Corvus, no, there is no budget for that. And then I said, no, we, and we, he never buy from Cafe Impulse. But either way, Joe says, dude, come on. I found you a place to stay. I'm going to charge you. Cover the tickets with, for me was free because my wife's a flat tenant. And just to meet Joe Morocco and all what he was doing, remember that he was the first person to post a profile and he got attacked by a lot of people when he posted a public profile with Cropster. Really? Nobody was doing that. He did back then in 2013, he posted a espresso profile and a single origin oh, with wow. Cropster. So that was like, oh, you shouldn't do that, you know? Yeah, I didn't <laughs> know that. Either way, but back then, either way, he just to see what he was doing, he was always helping this roasting competition. So I started doing like a volunteer, like cleaning and organizing. I volunteered for like two years or some three years, I think. When before the competition was you just bring in and they just brew a batch to the public and then the public decides and the and the and the people judging decide and then they add the the the, the, the scores I guess yeah so and then when they were amazing judges back then they all left that's when Jenna Podaka asked me if I wanted to judge and I started judging there with them and learning it was a good learning experience yeah. Are you still judging now or? or no, judging? our last one was at Costa Mesa, but it was rough, man. It was rough because sadly for the SEA of the roasting, which Nathaniel May is now the head of that, he is listening to a lot of people, is that you go to this competition and the baristas, it's all about the baristas and they have all this backstage and all that stuff. And then you see the roasters, there is not even a water tower. Yeah. The roaster, yeah roasters cup. cannot even cup the coffees. Yep. There is no place for them to try something or to see or to practice, you know? So it's a lot of miscommunication knowing that I, for sure, the roasting competition brings more money and there is a lot of more people and it's always full. There's always a waiting list. But you know you know where the money is. Yeah. But I don't want to go there. Yeah. Uh, how did you feel about that competition? Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. It's, it's, we did it's, like three times, right? Yeah, it's it's rough. I mean, they change the rules every year, right? Yeah, every year. which you know, and they don't. They're not really solid on the rules. Because what was you only got dock points because of your tasting notes, right? Your flavor calls. They didn't like it's, that I went over time, despite oh, yeah. there not being an actual. And that's, that that was super controversial. The time and also the flavor notes. And sadly, the taste the flavor notes is something they score so much and. And when Shelby won the U.S. championship, I got the chance to go with her to Taiwan and see the world competition. And it's completely different, man. It was amazing to see. And then you wonder why United States don't do that. We're supposed mm. to be like the head, like yeah. we're all these amazing, famous roasters and so on. And yeah. now not even close to that. How do they do it at like Worlds? Yeah, what's the biggest difference? The biggest difference is that you are roasting on the side, right there, and then you are copying there, mm-hmm. right? And then you don't have to do the screen size. Remember when they were doing the screen size thing? Yeah. You have to just uh, uh, score the green. They give you five coffees, and then you have to pick. They give you a single origin and four coffees, and you have to pick three of them to, for a blend. And then you can do a pre-blend or a post-blend, and then you have to predict what's going to happen. Nice. You know, you have to say, yeah, you have to say this coffee is going to, I'm going to charge here, 
my turning point here, when I hit dehydration or yellowing here, my first cry is here, my development time is here, my weight loss is here. These are the flavors that I take. Yeah. So That's you do that for the single origin. And if you do that, if you do a post-rose blend, you have to do the same for the three coffees you pick. If you do a pre-blend, you just do one, something like that. And then what's awesome is all the judges are curators. The feedback, the feedback for me is the most important part of a competition. But sadly here, the feed that a lot of people just leave. And first of all, you know, the times are always super late when they do their announcements and so people cannot stay or some people just try to get the first flight out as soon as the competition finishes, people don't stay. And so feedback, nobody stays for feedback. So it just stays right there. And, and also roasters are shy people and they don't ask for more. You know, like they don't say, hey, why this, why this, why, 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 why? Yeah. So I think the Costa Mesa Championship was the, the water that filled the cup, I will say. How you say that phrase? Over, over the, I don't know that phrase. All the mistakes that happen that in competition, I think a lot of people give a huge feedback to Nathaniel May, and hopefully that's gonna take better for the competition. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. It's yeah. always a fun time, despite you know it being weird every time. So yeah, just so, being there, oh, seeing, seeing everyone is a great time. So every, I become like that because of Joe, of to see another person doing volunteering work, you know. Yeah, and also I was also teaching like an assistant teacher, like helping in Roasters Guild, which I also have uh, opinions about that, but yeah. <laughs> so, so tell me a little bit about what you're doing at Cropster now. From what I, what I understand, you're the only one that is a coffee person on the data side. Is that right? Well, more than the roasting side, because coffee person is hard to define, you know. Yeah. They, they all drink coffee and, and most of their products are, uh, they have this, they have Scott Rao, they have a Rob Hoos, mm-hmm. they have a, I forget her name. And in Australia, she's a really good teacher as well. Uh, so they have these coffee like professionals that help them develop the products they have. But they were not hiring coffee person because at the end you have all this data that you can access. So yeah. it's like better to not have this conflict of interest. And we know coffee people think that if you copy a, a Rose profile, you're going to be a successful line as the other person roasting, but they, Devin knows I'm not like that and they cannot really trust me. And I, you know, so I'm just the West Coast guy sales. And then I also help and support the majority of roasters in the West Coast. And, but that's kind of my position. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. Gotcha. So yeah, you, do you look at a lot of the data? Do you actually get to like see that? No, really, there is no need for that unless the yeah. customer is having an issue with something that we need to. And the way that Cropster is defined is I'm doing demos and we have a demo product that we showcase everything what we do and there is a support team. Mm-hmm. So when there is something with an error, with an error with data and they need to do like you did a profile and it didn't work, then the support team has the one to access. Unless I am in the, on the phone and he's telling me, dude, can you check this? Can you check that? Yeah. You know. So you have like a direct relationship with all the roasters, like you. Personally? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because it's, you know, when you start in 2013, hard was the big boom, you know, hard coffee, oh, yeah. and it's a really tasty coffee. It is. Yeah. And then you follow Ville and Hart, and and like two weeks ago, I got to talk on the phone with him just about a specific thing of Cropster, but it's it's just interesting that when you are in coffee. 
you cannot elevate this person. But being in Cropster, another one of the same of the same bulk, right? That is not like I'm gonna treat him better because you know yeah. it's like Cropster helped me to even pay more attention to those that are struggle is real. Like and they don't know you you find people opening rosteries without even using their machine for the first time. So it's really interesting. It's really, really interesting to see that. And then, yeah, that's why it's nice to have Rob, who's Scott Rao. And, and like, when you find these people, you just send them to them. Yeah. So your support is like, it's pretty much support, like saying like, okay. Backhand. Like, yeah. And then if they need more theoretical, like support, you send them to like, oh, here's Scott Rao or something, some other person. Yeah, in the beginning I was, you. in the beginning I was making that mistake of like explaining things that is going to take me longer. And I was like, so it was hard for me to slow down. And it's not, I'm not a teacher. I'm not, I, this is not a company that's going to teach you. We can help you making sure the machine is connected, giving you some tips and then redirect you to what the education is. Rockstar is, is moving towards more education. The webinars have been, they, they have been awesome. They're doing really amazing webinars with Rob Hoos and these other roasters and some traders. And so... At the end of the day, it's going to be education, the way that COVID is behaving and all that stuff. Because we have everything. If you think about Cropster, we are the all. We have from origin to roasters. Yep. Yeah. So if you see the product of Cropster, you apply everything you know in coffee right there. Speaking on that, what's the, what's the most interesting thing you've learned from seeing all that? Like seeing a coffee's data from origin all the way to... It roasted, you know, different people roast the, the same coffee. The saddest thing, the saddest thing ever is people don't cop. Don't cop and they don't use the green grading or the green analysis or sample roasting. Really? Or maybe they do, but they don't record it. But yeah, that's the hardest part for us. Or well, for me, not for them. For me, when I start working for them, is how, because I don't need to enter to any accounts. I just can see who is not using the cop, the mm. copying app. Who is not using the green, like the, we have sensor analysis and physical analysis. Who is not using those two tools? And then you say, maybe they're using it in a different way. And then you try to contact them. No, we don't have time for that. And we don't do that. We just do COP one day with a piece of paper. And which is really, really sad. It's really sad because that's, I, for me, in my experience, that's the most important thing besides roasting. Yeah, green cause... coffee and copying. Yeah, because yeah, I've worked with some roasters and they'll cup like every day and change the profile. But I would never see them like record it, like write it down somewhere or, or say like this correlates with this somehow. And they would just be like, I'm just going to go change something on the roaster and hope it makes it better. And instead of like, yeah. OK, let me cup this. Let me write this down. Let's see if I can manipulate it. Nope, they they just cup and then they go back to their machine and either sample roast and try to get a different outcome yeah yeah so and that's the beauty of crops that when you cop a production let's say you cop the production on friday on monday and then you see this columbia let's say ventanius that was herbal then you see that profile and then your scores it it shows you the scores and your notes and when it's herbal it's going to be on red and then you see the profile and then you say, well, I'm going to stain my dehydration, like the yellowing. Mm-hmm. But you go to the profile and edit it. And you can say, you know, that to slow down, then you reduce the gas before, like maybe uh, three minutes. I went to 60. Let's go and put it on 50. And then you can do that change there. 
and then set it up as, as a reference curve. And then next time you follow, and you can add a note, say, dude, I changed dehydration, so pay attention. If I'm the head roaster, you are the production roaster. I made that change, put in notes, please make sure that dehydration, the yellowing is going to be 30 seconds later. Follow mm -hmm. the changes. That's all I need to do as a head roaster. And then the production roaster is going to follow it. And then we copy it again. That's how Cropster can do for you. You know, mm -hmm. it's like you can change everything right there if you are the head roaster. Because you know the machine. I don't need to roast the coffee to know what changes to make. Because yeah. you need to learn the freaking machine. And then you know the coffee because you were the one that bought it. So you know if it's really dense, if I go that fast, it's going to be airborne. Mm -hmm. So I need to extend it in certain ranges, whatever your theory is. All you can do that in writing the profile. But you need to cop. Add those, like, as soon as you cop, it automatically scores the profile. And then you can do the changes there. It's pretty hard to understand what's going on if you never had the end of the feedback loop. <laughs> Everything's fun and blind. Yeah. So, yeah, no, like and if you attach everything in one place, it's amazing. Yeah. You don't have to go to the to – the, every year you have to throw away all this paper that you use for copying. Yeah, that's nice. And you yeah. said there's also, like, a green analysis section of that? Yeah. Do people yeah. use that, or, or do they not really use it? No, I just think a few lot, people. A lot of roasters just kind of like look at a coffee and like, oh, that looks like a really good coffee. Let me go ahead and spend the money and buy it. And then they get it. And are they just not like like uh, really analyzing the green and, and putting that into that system? Are they just kind of like no, guessing it's a good we coffee? Are in an just... in, we are in an industry with the only people that are doing this are the middlemen, the traders. They are those that are doing the green grading. Those are the ones that score the coffee. So the job of the producer and roaster who is doing that job is the middleman. They are the most knowledgeable people in the industry, which is, shouldn't be like that because they are just, they should be providing a service. And who should know the best is the producer and the roaster. But that's not what is happening. So when you have companies that learn a lot about copying and grading and all that stuff, they use the importer's with the service. So you find roasters like, oh, no, I brought my coffee through Ally. Oh, so you bought it from Ally. No, 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 no. They brought it for me. Yeah. So, oh, you are using Ally as a service, as an important service. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. So that's what actually should be. Like, that's how it should be. <laughs> but to get there is going to be forever. But either way. That's why I love tea, man, because the specialty tea, the producer, defines the process. Defines the variety, defines the process, and defines the price. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's weird yeah. that people don't take green analysis more at a higher value because it's where all the risk is. I mean, if you're buying green without doing green analysis, you could get something that tastes good then, and within a couple of weeks of being at the warehouse, it's bad, or it doesn't roast well, or all kinds of things. So it's really, I don't know how you would be a roaster without doing green analysis. Yeah, but I think it's just... It's, it's also that you have to start learning who is not doing it, right? Like the people that buy just cheaper coffee, they know it's going to have so many issues. Or people that really don't know and, and, and don't have the access to that kind of education or they don't know that it really exists or what is group one and group two and what those, how they affect the cup. Because mm -hmm. that's never been a, an emphasis of any institution. So at the end of the day, you think, do they want you to learn? I don't know, you know? Do they want you to learn what is milling, what milling does to your coffee? Like, because at the end of the day, the defects are coming out is from the mill. So, yeah, it, all the all the answers are going to go back to the middlemen. So, yeah, those are the ones that define if you want to learn or not. And sadly, right now, who are certifying for Cube Raider is the middlemen. So it, that's also yeah. doesn't make any sense. How do you think we change that? 
Now, I don't think it's going to change. It's, just, it's, a, it's an industry, man. Any problem you see in the industry, it's just a few small, you know, it's a few group of people. So I don't think it's going to change. I think the change starts on the roster and the producer. And when you get that change, you go out of the industry. That's what happens when you find a, when a company learns how to cop and find these producers that learn how to cop. They know what they are doing. I know what I'm doing. Why do we need middlemen? Yeah. So you end up going out of the industry. I, I look at you as like the great connector of good Taking copies. Taking me out of the industry. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You, uh, you somehow. Yeah, you, that's what I was talking. Yep. You have all your friends what? and with amazing coffees and you just get it to the, to the roasters. And how did, how did you kind of find yourself in that role? Is it because you want the middlemen to disappear and you're just trying to make it happen? Or do you just. No, think- actually, no. I, I think the middlemen have to exist because there is roasters that don't want to learn. There is producers that don't want to learn. Mm-hmm. They just want to grow coffee and sell it. I don't need to drink it. Just, if you don't want to buy it, just, yeah. And there is roasters that just call the traders and say, hey, what are you drinking this morning? What's the best coffee you have? Mm-hmm. Sell me 10 bucks of that. That's going to exist. So they have to exist. So the change that I want, or like, not the what I want, it's, I believe is, I'm a helper, I guess. I like to help. And, and what the beauty of this life that I have in coffee is that I met so many good people that they just need the connections, right? And if I have that connection, why not? Because if the industry has tried to change this, but it's never going to change it, I'm not going to change it either. I think everything starts with the producer and roasters and, and the relationship is going to exist and they can change and so on. But, but yeah, I don't know. Do you think there's like that split between the roaster and producers that want to learn everything about it and then the ones that don't? Do you think we're going to create a bigger gap between that or is it just going to stay how it is right now where... There's a couple that are... No, the, the younger generation, there is an amazing company in Oakland. This, she's really small. Then Her name is Cute Coffee. I was, uh, it's funny, is I met her through Cropster. Nice. She wanted to use Cropster, and, and then we started talking and talking, and she was telling me all what she does, and I was like, man, that's amazing, because you always think the smaller you are, more trailers you use, because you cannot afford a pallet, right? That's, the, that, that's your experience. You always see small people, and they said, no, I cannot. I cannot buy a pallet. I cannot do it. Yeah. Well, she doesn't buy a pallet either. What she does is just buys directly from the producer that she knows. She spends the money in DHL. That's what she does. And, airships and people buy the coffee. And yeah. I've been having more yeah. and more airship coffees. I think that's a pretty cool route. Sometimes like it's an interesting area, but I didn't know. That was like the first flag that, man, the small people do it. They just have to will do it, you know? Yeah. It's expensive though. I mean, air shipping, I think adds a dollar sixty per pound for the shipping yeah. cost alone. So, so yeah. that's when you start defining. You have to know your cost of production, yep. and that's another yep. thing that crops that help you, but nobody uses the cost of production. If you don't know the cost of production, you don't even know how much are you making, and you can never bring that money back to buy more green coffee. I think she knows her cost of production. No, I think I for sure knows her cost of production and she knows the profit that she can make. And maybe the decision she's making is let's make less profit to bring these coffees, to build this structure like this. So when I grow, it's not going to break. I'm not going to end up buying cheaper coffee. I'm not going to end up bending over, you know. So I believe that's what she is actually doing. And, and if she has the customer, if she's selling that coffee, it's because people are buying it. Yeah, as long as you have the right yeah. customer base, you can you can do a lot of this stuff. And if you build yeah. trust with them. Yeah, yeah. another one is, is Sweet Bloom. 
I, I don't know. They, I don't, I don't know much about their green buy purchases, uh, but I know for sure the head roasted is set a good friend of mine, and their green's pretty cool. They buy really good coffee, green green coffee. So, yeah. and and what's funny is they are one of the cheaper coffees in the market when you go to their shops. So then you, that's when you evaluate your cost structure, like how you are actually managing your cost to make it that you can buy good coffee and make it affordable for everybody. Because what trend that is happening is coffee roasters are charging more for coffee and drinks that they are marginalizing coffee that middle people, like we call the people that cannot afford coffee now is becoming bigger and bigger. The, the gap is just reducing to a specific elite of people that can afford a $7 cup of coffee or $8 cappuccino, you know? Is that common? Yeah. Seven, $8 cappuccinos there? Five, six. Yeah, you should come to Denver. <laughs> I haven't been in a little it, bit. <laughs> the, whole, the, whole, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, a, it's hard for me to give an opinion because first, I don't know their cost of production. It's hard. You know? know, and if I'm going to decide to charge way higher, if it was me, the shop that decides I'm going to charge $5 for a cappuccino versus other people charging $3, it's $2 gap more. My personality will say, let's show the public why. I will expose everything for this increase and not just say, no, I want to pay better. That's not an answer. Yeah. I want to say that, let's open it. This is how I'm paying better. This is my cost of production. This is how much I'm making. This is how much everybody's making. But I'm not on a coffee shop. So uh, it's hard for me to give, but yeah. I went yeah. to Denver and I, I went to Amethyst uh-huh. and they're doing that whole doubling their price thing. Did you hear about that? So, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are people around Denver saying about that? My friend, sadly, I cannot comment on that. Uh, okay. Sadly, we are in a coffee, the same as coffee. There is a powerful people out there, my friend, that Insta- Instagram is really powerful. Mm-hmm. We are using this social media tool to many different ways. I learned the lesson, my friend. It's better to, I have an opinion. I prefer to give it to her mm-hmm. and not like showcase it in social media because sadly we are just looking at our phones right now instead of looking at people. It's easier, it's easier to judge from a phone than in person. Yeah, and, and that's we go something... back to the same question about like, like we are going back to the same issue of feedback when you are roasting. What's the difference between a person that doesn't know anything about coffee versus a person that knows about coffee? The feedback from a person that doesn't know is more important than the feedback from a coffee person because the coffee person is not never going to tell you I didn't like it. Not to generalize, but that's going to happen. Because sure. we judge in a different way. Consumer will tell you, no man, I didn't like this. I always uh, Corvus have these issues. Which one is your favorite coffee? Wash Ethiopian. Ah, oh, no, man. Too citric for me. The consumer <laughs> will say that, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Coffee people will not say, oh, yeah, it's pretty good. Floral is good. Good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, then you a- end up saying, like, that's when I when I used to roast those wash Ethiopian a little lighter. That was doing it for me. But if the consumer, it took me a little bit to realize this is one of my best coffees. If I roast it a little bit darker and keep a little bit of that berry and those florals, maybe this guy who hates citric will like it because he's actually buying that back. We coffee people, we get it for free. And you know that because you send me quite a bit of coffee, which is awesome thing. <laughs> yeah, but, no problem. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's, it's a reality. It's a reality. 
social media is one thing me and him talked about with like COVID and everything kind of going on that it can destroy your business or it can make it like take it to that next level. And, and that's what kind of, it's kind of unfortunate right now that social media is, can be a great thing, but it, it can also be a, a terrible thing sometimes. And we kind of talked yeah. about that for COVID stuff. And, and then when it comes to the customers, yeah, it always comes down to how can you make that customer, you know, feel like you're not alienating them from this experience that from this industry that we love so much. And I feel like a lot of people that work in coffee are kind of learning now. They're like, okay, let's take the customer, you know, that's, that's our main goal now, instead of like focusing in on, Oh, I, I want to do this because it's my, my thing. Like, no, it's not, it's not really. So I do understand that. Like making it all about the customer. It's an interesting industry because at the end of the day, who pays the bills are them. But it's like, I don't know, it's a balance. It's like the best, yeah. that's why I, do. I don't like cup of excellence, but kind of idea is a balance cup, right? How we can make a balance of both. Social media, is, it's, I think it's a tool that we don't know how to use. And it can hurt people and it, it can elevate other people and give them a lot of power. And it's Definitely. a reality. Elections, what's the difference between the elections or when a coffee shop made a mistake of mistreating employees the same man yeah. we don't we are we don't have compassion anymore we don't want to everybody makes mistakes and, and if i think the hardest mistake to forgive is that everything else above that is forgivable and fixable yeah should be doesn't seem that way these days but yeah. it should be that way yeah i, I read uh you were you talked about huckleberry a little bit i read that you taught Shelby Williamson, how to roast and uh, kind of guided her through her roasting championship. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? I don't think guide her on the championship because I believe when you are a champion, you just need support. Whatever she learned, that is nothing I can teach you more in one week or three days, you know. For sure. Whatever she applied there is her. I think it's more than support. But uh, she's a, a, a good example of when you want to learn something and you have the tools for it you can get really far away. And her situation was really interesting because she, as a really smart woman that reads so many books, man, I'm, I, don't read, I don't read any book. So, <laughs> and, and her willing to learn was amazing. And, and that was like my first student, like my first, like, not a student, my assistant roaster that at the end of the day is the one you teach what you yeah. learn. The idea is that they become you so you can rest, right? Yep, exactly. What helped us a lot was her willing to learn. And and her career with me at Corus was her foundation, I guess. And then she took off and that's the way she is now. It's not that I, yeah, it's more like a guidance, more like I give her the tools. She used them really, really well. She got to learn the machine. She got to learn the coffee and then boom, that's what you get when you learn. Because roasting is just willing, man. It's just understanding and it's slow down. And, and at the end of the day, you need a good machine and good ingredients and that's it. You get bad machine, bad ingredients or either way or either or. You're going to have a headache, man. You cannot make a good, bad coffee taste good. Or you cannot make a good machine work good. So, well, we did the, with the gizzing though, but it was a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it has a lot of troubles for sure. I think they fixed a lot of them right now. But back then, yeah, yeah, dude, we were like two weeks down with a kitchen. And the support I was having here was awful. And then 
I end up roasting between a 15 kilo when you can use most of the full batch, went down to a Diedrich 12 kilo that you can barely use the 65% of the batch capacity. So you went out roasting 30 pounds to 16, so double time. Double, double your time, yeah. So wow. your cost of production goes higher. That's why when you see people roasting, like one of our friends in the hooky, his cost of production was <laughs> super high. <laughs> And that's one of the things that it's hard because you cannot afford a bigger machine. But at the same time, your costs are super high. And that's one of the things that nobody teaches. Everybody says, no, get a one kilo, start with one kilo, start with three kilos. How much an hour are you actually producing? How much you you are an hour? Yeah, exactly. You what, know? How much do you value your, your own time? And that's, that's what you really yeah. have to. Because you can spend that time growing your business. You know, you might... It might cost you a lot, but if you can't ever grow your business because you're roasting on a small roaster the whole time, what what do you? You, know? you you just say something, businessman. The majority of the industry are not business oriented; they are yeah. just passion oriented. Exactly, and those are the ones that end up going down because mm-hmm. you can passion is important, but you need a structure, you need a a, a business, you need protocols you need things to do that one of the failures of the industry that i see the most is that the owner is always roasting or is always in the shop there is no protocols there is no structure to follow so they always need you there because you are the one that knows what to do and that's the biggest mistake when you see an owner doing things that they shouldn't it's because there is no structure there's no protocols that's why you hire people to follow those structures so you can be bringing business that's the most important part and And that's what you see. I heard some interesting advice on that. If you're an owner of a company, you should pretend like your time is worth $5,000 an hour and then think, would you do this if if it cost me $5,000 an hour to do it? Like, then you really start to judge the kind of things you're doing and roasting all day probably is not the... Not worth five. No, and don't get me wrong. <laughs> you have to bag because sometimes you have to show that you 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 are the how you call in chess the one that moves everywhere. I don't know. I don't know chess, but <laughs> the one that moves everywhere, like the, the queen. Thinking Is that the queen? Yeah. So there you go. You have to be the queen of the game, man. You you have to be able to fulfill any position. Yeah. But you don't have to do it every day. You need to know your business. So in order that people leave, there is protocols that can follow. And if there is not a teacher, you can be that teacher. But and for me, it's always, that's the only thing I learned about the fruit industry in Colombia is protocols. The word protocols is super important. If there is no protocols, people are going to call you every second. Hey, how I do this? Where can I find this? What happened when this happened? Why, why did I do? What, you know, it's always the, the phone call. Need to build systems for everything, yeah. for sure. So it's still roasting in the hooky. It's fine. It's fine. But try that. Like you need to get out of it. You need to grow. You need to. You need to bring businesses. Yeah. And, and and I love the hooky though. That's what like that's what Shelby learned the most in roasting. Oh yeah. In the hooky. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's. Yeah, we we start doing like one of the things we, we we create was let's create. Examples of roasting: just roast with the exhaust, just roast with the beam temp, just make two changes of the roast, make three, four. Taste when it's long drying, short drying. Taste when it's long malleur, short malleur. Taste the same roast with long development, short development. Like learn how the machine reacts with batch sizes. Learn the machine 
while, while the machine does. And you know, the hook is not a, a stable machine. Yeah. It's always going to be different because mm -hmm. it's uh, the way it's designed. But but if you control the, the cookie, man, it gives you a lot of knowledge of behavior of coffee. The majority of the equipment, the only one that was smart about was Loring, hiring Rob Hoos as like their main. And that's why I love Loring's. Loring's are, I think, one of the best equipment to roast coffee, in my yeah. personal opinion. They only weren't so expensive. <laughs> yeah, they know why. Man, I, it's expensive, but I personally tell you something. I'm going to put a name out there. When you count how many times you spend cleaning a machine, that's labor cost. And I know some friends that they have three San Franciscans. It takes three men, two men, eight hours a day on a Friday, eight-hour shift to clean the whole machines. How much is that? Wow, that's a lot. When you have to clean three machines and harder the machine to clean, more expensive in labor. Loring's takes 10 minutes to clean. Just with that, how much money you saving through a specific amount of time of the because you have to do it in the life of the machine. How much money are you saving there? The the maintenance is also a cost that you have to have having having princess in your business structure. Yeah, for sure. What's what's the most important thing you you think a roaster should know? What's what's the best tip you should give you could give a roaster? The machine. You have to know your machine. Mm-hmm. Because if you know how the machine works, you can put any ingredient and you will know how it behaves. Yeah. I think that's the best way for a roaster is if you don't know your machine. What I mean, the machine is, we are talking about heat elements, how these heat elements are being applied to a specific and batch sizes. So you know your machine and then you know how the coffee is going to behave. Does that just come with that's experience in, in your opinion? Or can you figure that out before you started roasting on a machine? No, I think but through the experience, I get to learn the roasting all the machines. When you do that, and one of the experiments this girl did, I forget her name, in Europe. She is Australian living in Norway. She's famous for her donuts and coffee. I forget oh, her name. Taylor. Taylor made. Taylor, yeah. And, yeah. and one that reaffirmed my theory when she did the experiment of the coffee she was amazing because she, when Lorings were coming out, everybody was saying that they are just for dark roast and the smell of the coffee goes back. Like the, the, the burn when they recycle the egg goes back and it, it makes the coffee taste something like that. And what she did is she took the, when she was going to buy a machine, she took one coffee and roasted in all the machines. And then she brought that coffee to the roasters guild in Europe and everybody tasted it. And that's how they show how Lawrence don't have that taste that everybody talks about. And then her favorite her favorite machine was Lawrence, but she couldn't afford it. So she bought a Dietrich. I was going to say, I thought she roasted on Dietrich. So has she bought a Lawrence yet? Yeah, now she's in a Lawrence. Oh, cool. That's awesome. We just yeah. got uh, Tim Wendebo. He's on a Lawrence thing. Was amazing. How was it? Oh, that was amazing. It was really good. It was like a perfect Kenya, like always. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's all about the ingredients, man. I think yeah. it's the machine is the same, you know. And Lawrence, I don't think you can apply a lot of theories on Lawrence because at the end of the day, Lawrence, you are the heat. There is no heat retention. I think it's a small part, but you are the heat. So I think um, if you think about the movement from Provat to Lawrence, Lawrence are based in Provat. So that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But either way, yeah, learn the machine. 
and then you can do whatever you want in any any place Makes sense. any coffee no. yeah i was just gonna ask are you seeing like any trends right now in like roasting that can potentially change the way we look at roasting right now or is it just did kinda... you ask that to herbert he's the trend guy did we ask the no, i don't think we asked <laughs> that are you sure man he has these different oh. theories of roasting we didn't ask him about roasting, that's what you were but... asking no we... yeah but we asked herbert about processing like trends in processing yeah and he, and he oh, gave us yeah. his, his opinion on yeah, that he, he has better answers in both yeah i the, the thing I don't believe in theories. How can I say this? Each person should create his own theory because theories in coffee, it's really hard to apply because it all depends on variables. And in coffee, there is so many variables, right? Uh, just to listen to Scott Brown, who's talking about coffee, is completely different. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So take that in place in a warehouse when Spencer has a machine and I have the same machine. We have everything the same and my warehouse is bigger. Yeah. The coffee is going to react different. So theories should be taking everything you know and try to create your own theory. If you ask Shelby, what was the different roasting in Huckleberry and the job that she had before, besides the machine, what it is, is just how they, besides the roasting, is just different machines, different theories and different places. So I just think the trends is, I don't know, everything light, medium. Um, you go to Europe and they have this curve that it's like the M, you know, it goes like this, like start the rate of rise, go here and then go down and then go up again. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 So you find those. Interesting. And then you have the one that the gas, that the rate of rise goes for basically the scope is going to be baked. So the gas, instead of going, this is the gas line, instead of going decreasing, it's going increasing. But you keep the line more flat and then the traditional rate of rise decreasing, you know? Since so, you see so much of the data and you, or you can, have you tasted coffees with like, you know, from different people that have all the same coffee and are roasting totally different and see like... No, no, because that, I, would, I would be broke, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be fun. See like yeah, someone, like a that, whole bunch of different people roasting the same one, and just see like yeah, but there's so many variables, dude. No, for sure. And the sure. water, yeah, everything. Like one of my favorite roasters is La Caura coffee. Yeah, I had them to Herbert, and and I was amazed by I sample roast. My experience in in Dinamarca was I sample roast. First of all, freaking Herbert made me take my kawa there. And I didn't think about the freaking temperature, uh, the, the, the 220 versus 110. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because these guys broke their kawa. We need to sample roast my coffees. And then I went to this Berlin coffee convention and the guy, there is a really nice guy in Ikawa. Like he's a photographer too. And he just looked at me and started laughing. And I was like, why are you freaking laughing at me? Dude, you, the statue in Ikawa, yeah, why did you bring him to Europe? He's not going to work here, bro. <laughs> And I was like, oh, so by the way, we went sample roast and they were a little bit developed, man. I promise it was just a tiny little bit. They couldn't cop it. They said, no, man, it's roasty. We cannot cop like this. When you have, and that's the, the nice thing about that is that you have a structure. That's, that is a protocol for sample roasting they follow. When it's out of that protocol, you cannot make a judgment. And that's awesome. That was my first flag. Like, yes, yeah, a little bit roasty and that's not the way they cop. So... How do they you define have, roastiness? Bitterness? No, no, like 
before. So if they haven't cupped it, do they cup it first and say like, we can't evaluate these? Or they just do it by color and say like, this is too dark? No, or? no, I, I think it was tasting it. Tasting it first, okay. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder just, if they do color reading. What do you think about that color reading? Oh, I love it. I think yeah. it's the only, the one of the only more, um, I forget the name. Uh, Objective. No, like consistent. Thank you. If you are consistent in color, that's awesome. Because yeah. drum, drum, drum machines have to change through the day because they are they have heat retention. Depends of the environment of the warehouse. There is so many variables in a drum roaster versus in a loring. But so color reading is really nice. And one of the things that uh, Sweet Bloom do they that they do is they do a lot of color. They roast by color. So would they you do multiple batches. You know, they can do different size batches a day which mm -hmm. I never did. For me, it's like I have a batch size for denser coffees. I have a batch size for non-dense coffees. Oh. I have a batch size for processed coffee. That's That, that was me. So I, I, I always thought it's too complicated if I start playing with batch sizes. And I was yeah. not, my mindset was not for that. But said <laughs> uh, told me like, yeah, they do multiple batch sizes and they taste that they don't taste any different. So they yeah. are trained to do that. And that's freaking awesome. That's cool. But they do a lot of color. And they have a person that just does copying for them. He's always copying their production. So they make sure everything at some point, which is awesome. That's amazing. I wish mm -hmm. I wish more people had that. No, <laughs> had yeah. If you, if you start if you start reading, if you learn more what they do, that is their success. Sweet Bloom has a success, but not because it's a name of Andy. It's also they have a structure, they have a team power. You know, they have a person is evaluating all the coffees. They have a roaster person that is just focusing on roasting and they have the sales team. So, yeah, I think that that's their success, I guess. Yeah, color reading is awesome, dude. And you guys have that. That's in, is that in Phoenix? Espresso hmm. Division? The one that Kim Ox been showing? Yeah. I, I'm not sure where he got that. No, uh, uh, I, our boy, Kim Hawk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I saw him and then we. Are, I think I'm, I'm buying one just to. I think it's affordable. It's freaking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. can afford $1,500. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing about evaluating green, too. Like, the equipment to evaluate green the right way is really expensive. <sighs> it's too bad. Yeah, and that's what you have to relay in the producers like Herbert because I always thought water activity was like, you want to know how fast the water is living, right? But then he has his theory behind that you shouldn't. And the beauty of his coffees is there is no age. I don't know. That's yeah, but yeah, for sure. Green, green, green thing is hard for sure. Yeah, density super expensive. Water activity. Yeah, expensive. but density, density with this two hundred and fifty the cylinder, whatever it calls. Yeah, you can do a pretty good job with that. You can figure it out. That's the minimal. I always tell roasters at least define batch size. Help define your density. Define how. That's when you learn. When they don't measure density, that's when you learn that they are just roasting coffee. Yeah, just throwing it in. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Tell us, uh, tell us just a little bit about all the stuff Cropsters implemented. I haven't, I haven't seen one of their booths in a while. It sounds like a lot of new it's stuff. Crazy man, because one of in our meetings, the global meetings, is all tech, tech people talking about things that I have no idea what <laughs> they're talking about. In the beginning, it was hard, dude, because I left the business the business back in Colombia and then this is, I go back to meetings, right? Like sales meetings, global meetings, all meetings and meetings and meetings. So it's just like, so in the beginning, in artificial intelligence and coding and all that, it's just hard to go back. I'm too old to learn again, right? <laughs> 
So, so I like more to test the product than to actually listen the reason why, right? Mm -hmm. And because at the end of the day, they are tech people and, and they are trying their best to satisfy an industry and they relay on these main importance people. And every time they are releasing something, they have a testers. They, hey, you want to test this product? Like when they did this two minutes, uh, what Artisan does, it was the name that you can project the rate of rise. Yeah. The being curved and then mm -hmm. you can see where everything is going. And so it's, it's really interesting the passion these people have in order to have this, how to make it easier for roasters. That's the thing. And when people ask me what's the, if Artisan is bad or not, I said, I don't think it's bad. It's just, I always compare Cropster with Artisan between Artisan can be this Linux versus Apple. Linux is a freaking amazing system. You just have to know what you're doing. You have to set it up for success. Sure. Apple is just friendly. And I think that's um, what Cropster is. It's just friendly and it's easier to adjust. It's easier to read. You don't have to be a coffee snob to use it. Um, so, and that's why I like it. I like it more. Uh, and you can always talk to home roasters that go from, they contact us and sadly we charge. It's not a free option. But you can tell they're angry, like the hungriness to learn. But if you don't know coding or they cannot program artisan to help them, right? Yeah. You have to know. So, you know, I don't know. So uh, so everything that is coming with Cropster is awesome. It's always how we can make it easier. Like they just released this new inventory management. Like we are trying to focus in things that people should be using more, like inventory management, like mm -hmm. reports, how to read a report, how much money is sitting in my warehouse, how long it took me to take it out because we don't see that, yeah. right? We buy a pallet of coffee, but we never measure how long it took me to get that money back. Mm -hmm. There's money sitting there, right? Mm -hmm. The weight is reducing every day, right? It's not, it's not the 77 pounds. So that's, people don't realize that. So they just release a new inventory report, which gives you way more detail. And then hopefully we are working in this wholesale platform that's also going to be awesome. Uh, the origin for producers, which is really size hard because what they don't see or what I didn't realize about Cropster before working is how many people are behind the scenes, how many uh, 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 how the developers are. Yeah, engineers. You just, you just think it's a service, right? Mm -hmm. When you find these 40 people out there trying to keep Roster going, Cropster going, then that's why I, I, my first question was why four producers still in dollars, right? Why is uh, it's like 300 a year? Because there is no way they can afford lower than that. And an origin is one of my favorite products. I think it's, it's hard. And I was telling my boss, like, I wish I can find those roasters that want to help producers so much that they can maybe do half and half, like go like half and half. I help you. If you get this product, it can help you with, with your production because origin manage all your production yeah. by controlling everything you do in your farm processing milling and ready to go so you control all that and it's all saved in cropster so all that data you can go back year after year after year of well when you ask herbert about processing and, and herbert is a, a a person that is lucky because we go back to the same when a roaster knows coding artisan is better fit it's not a cloud-based, but it's better fit. Mm -hmm. Herbert knows coding, and he has a coding team, so they can develop their own origin. 
Makes sense. Mm -hmm. He can dance beyond that. He can go beyond what Clubster does. But not all the producers have like that, you know? So I, one of my reasons why I decided to work with Clubster is I think it's a company that will help me personally to help more people. Sure, that seems to be a theme of your life. Helping, yeah, helping the people. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, try, man. Trying yeah. to create that so people can replicate the same, right? I had a quick quick question, yeah. officer, before we move on. Have you guys implemented automated systems in there? And yeah. So like the software talks to the roaster? Like it controls the roaster in a way? Yeah, Probats, Gizens, you can replicate the gas. Okay. I think with Gizens, you can replicate the gas. And Probats, I think they just released gas and airflow. Oh, cool. Yeah. What do you think about I, that automation and roasting? Oh, I love it. Yeah. I just think you need the. It's like loadings, man. So that's another thing. When companies decide, when equipment decide to develop softwares, when they are not tech guys, then you see these horrible interfaces, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think my frustrations with Lauren is such an amazing machine and that interface. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I remember when I was roasting a loring, it's like the gas, it's right here. And there is a number where you put the gas percentage, right? Mm -hmm. And there is arrows here. And every time I want to press the number, for some reason, you press the arrow and that arrow goes straight to 100. Oh, <laughs> oh, no. So much hated that thing, dude. Yeah. So yeah. it was like, I have to start using my middle finger just in, the, in my, my the, how do you call this one? Thank you. The, 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 the pinky one, so it's the small one. So I have fat, fat fingers, so I was trying to just do... So when you do that, man, you already passed the moment that you wanted to do the change, and it just... Ugh. Yeah. But but hopefully we are working learning. That would be freaking awesome. But for sure, this, and you can control the gas in crops, and you can see the the gas, and you can control by specific amounts that you want. I know provides is happening. It's all the willing of machine. Like my favorite sample roaster, it's the... And thank you, Ferber, because I bet if I said this without ask, telling him thank you, is the the bullet. I think oh, yeah. bullet is a freaking awesome machine. It is. And you cannot use it in Cropster. So usually people that use Cropster, they want to also integrate the sample roster. So it's something I wish we can do soon. But mm -hmm. the bullet is a freaking awesome machine. Uh, I used to like Ikawas a lot, but slowly I've been more in love in the bullet. I think nice. Ikawas is just an easy, like when you have kids and all that stuff, because I got a hooky and I have not installed it yet because just the propane, the hot drum, you know, and the hooky is just right there, attractive to kids to touch. <laughs> Versus the Ikawa is just, I can put it higher and I can do, I don't need anything else. So that's, yeah. and the bullet is electric. So I was like, ah, but yeah. So yeah. So I don't know why we're talking about this, but um what just for your question was? We were talking about automation. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's freaking awesome because then you have to think, then your theories switch because it's different when you are roasting manually versus automation because if you think about automation, they are following set points. So how I can make the machine follow set points without going from 100 to zero, creating this wave of how I can make, and that's another way when you have to know your machine. How you rose for automation versus you rose for manual. Makes sense. Yeah. And I learned that from Rob Hoos. Rob Hoos is always talking about that. And, and that is interesting. It's really, really, it's another set of mind that you have to put mm -hmm. when you are roasting automation. Yeah, I think that's a good, it's a good trend. It's going to help roasters. 
ah, it's gonna help everything because it's it's a save it's saving you money. There is yeah. some coffees that require more attention, some others that are really well behaving the machine, you know. So those are the easy ones to roast, should be those that you can do automation and it can help you your state of mind or you know, rest a little bit while you are having heavy days. For sure. So I think we're gonna move into some tea talk because we wanted to hear oh, a nice. little bit about some tea since you that's your uh, maybe your expertise as well. No, I wish I, I, I try to keep it as a hobby. Coffee becomes such an expertise that when I drink a cup of coffee, you are always thinking acidity, body, yeah. <laughs> aftertaste. You know, it's just yeah. like, ah. It's too much. I always go with yeah. like to Kim Hawk's shop and he's always like, yeah, tea is way more complicated. Like, don't even start because it's so complicated. But I wanted to ask you. So, how I does have a tea... good, I have a good I have a good story with Kim Hag and, and <laughs> Jim. But oh. let's finish with that. How does the tea industry compare to the coffee industry? Like how how different is it? The switch in Asia is drinking more coffee than tea. Sadly, I think I, my dream was always go to China. But then when I went to Taiwan, I love it. I got the chance to be twice in the same year, and Taiwan was mind blowing. And I was there when they were doing a new long, uh, yeah, a new long called uh, Lishan. It's a high mountain, and they the mountain called Lishan, and it's famous because it's a new long with really low oxidation to non-oxidation. So it's like a really, it's like a, those green tiny balls that you see, mm-hmm. and and you always wonder how they do that, right? Mm-hmm. It was like how to make that thing make like a rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as soon as I got there, it's amazing, dude, because it's at three to four days nonstop. And it's like a, they have teams, right? So there is the, the pickers. There is another team that does all the dehydration. The No dehydration, they call it. I already forgot. This process when they, they make the leaf. Yeah, like kind of dehydrate a little bit to make a softer withering, withering. So they that's the team that withering. And then as soon as they finish, they the next team goes and put these leaves in a drum, in a bamboo drum. They just start hitting each other, right? Bruising. Mm-hmm. As soon as they are bruised, they go to the next one that is the drum roaster. Mm-hmm. It's a drum, it's a steam drum. They are oh. fixing the tea, trying to stop oxidation. So they're like high temperatures. And it's amazing to see this guy touching with his hands. It was mind-blowing, dude, because just to see that, and they do it by temperature and and they were touching how fast the steam was going out. Because I asked him, oh. like, what are you measuring there? So mm-hmm. he puts his hand. So the drum is the same as the, you know, where the bean mass is. Yep. With the bean yeah. temp when the machine is good. No, like another machine, they put the, the bean temp underneath <laughs> the trier. Because when you put the, the bean temp where the coffee is, it's always in a side because the drum is, ro- is moving. This guy just keep putting his hands higher and going lower, lower, lower. So he is measuring how fast the steam is leaving. Uh, so he he adjusts the flames like he he's adjusting uh, adjusting that heat. So if it's too fast, he reduces. Um, so mind blowing, man. And yeah, sounds like it. Hand, uh, yeah, a hand yeah, a yeah, yeah. That was for me the, my favorite step because it was just one guy. He goes through drum. The rest of them were teams, right? But um, so that for me, I wish I speak. Taiwanese or man, oh, I don't know what they, I don't think it's Mandarin. It's a kind of an, a, a deviation of Mandarin. But it's this guy touching the, and the drums are amazing. It's, it's like an, it's like a small, like a sample roaster by Gigantic. <laughs> a gigantic sample. 
Yeah, like the sample roster with the open drum. Uh -huh. So it's exactly like that. And that was for me, she was actually roasting coffee. He was just doing the the charge to yellowing. That's all he was doing. Just that part. Just getting rid of yeah. the mixture. <laughs> yeah, because they don't, they stop as soon as they, the steam reduces the speed. That's when mm -hmm. it's ready. Gotcha. And because they are not, they cannot let it dry there. They have to leave on a specific amount of moisture because the way that they roll is when it's like that. And they put it in this small uh, covers and there is a machine that presses it. They, when they start rolling it, it's by press, like pressing it, pressing, okay. pressing, okay. pressing. And then yeah. the last part is when it's already dry. There is a machine that they pour everything and it's like a de density with air. So the denser goes to one place and there is an air pushing that that dust goes to another one. That's what they grade and they oh. sell everything. And then the guy take me to his tasting room. And the, one of my favorite experience was tasting moistures, different levels of moisture. Mm. Do you think tea can be more complicated than coffee or is it? Oh, it's easier. I easier. personally believe it's more approachable than coffee. Coffee, we have people that don't have time to learn, right? Who has mm -hmm. time to learn acidity and all that stuff? That's why they put cream and sugar and that's fine. But with a specialty tea, you don't add anything. And it's like when you, when you learn about it, it's hard to move away because it's a drink that you don't need anything. You can go deep and get the ceramic ones and then you get the floater thing. You can also go deep in this thing, but you can also do the grandpa style, which is what he's doing. He's just in a bowling cup brewing tea. That's all nice. he's doing there. I think it's more approachable. I think tea can bring more people to coffee, to understand coffee. Because in tea, you have different processes that can teach you different strengths of aroma. You also have fermented tea, like Japanese fermented tea that Eugene had. That has amazing acidity. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's really Eugene, good. right? That's how you pronounce it. Because in Colombia, Eugenia, we say Eugenia. Eugenia. In Spanish, yeah, yeah. I have a cousin. Her name is Eugenia. So you have those teas that can help you understand coffee way more. And it's more approachable. Sadly, it's a country that they give it for free in diners. So yeah. people assimilate tea like that. It's the same as coffee. So, yeah, it's yeah the same as coffee. I have converted more coffee people into tea than actually not, not that actually I, my wife is still drinks coffee with sugar. I never couldn't do it. You can get it. Versus yeah. tea, it's easier to convert people to tea. That never drunk, they never drink tea before, and now they buy they, these these things. Like, man, we can I buy this? And now you see them buying tea from different companies in China, like more specialized and more expensive. So it's crazy what you can do when you learn about tea. So I don't know if that answers your question. I don't think it's more complicated. I think yeah. it's easier. Is there something from the tea industry that you would like some certain aspect of it that you would want to kind of incorporate into? into like coffee the coffee industry no i think you can i tried in roasters guild i brought a tea that you brew at four minutes the same as coffee, mm -hmm. but i don't think it, it's uh no i think it will the tea industry will help more the producer industry i think when the producer learn what the tea industry what the tea producers do they will make them more jealous and maybe they will they will learn from it that they control everything they control when this is an industry that the producer controls nothing they don't control anything. The majority, not to say, not to generalize. But when the tea producer controls the growing, processing, and the finished product, they control everything. 
Yeah. You know, we have these Colombian traders buy the cherry, mill the cherry, export the seeds, import the seeds, and sell the seeds. The producer is just farming it because they don't even produce it. The only way is showing, like every time I get to talk in Colombia about coffee, I always use tea. Because at the end of the day, those are the ones that should be learning. Yeah. Has there been a good tea shop that you've been to? Oh, really memorable? Oh, in Seattle. Floating leaves, I think. Yeah, floating leaves. Team Hack, they they sell some of her teas. She's amazing, and she's such an amazing person. And listening to her is awesome. Tech company is in New York. She's a Taiwanese girl who has. That's what my first experience with specialty tea. And that's the way I met Jordan actually, because I went to New York. Nate told me go to New York. When I was in New York with my family, took my mom for the first time. I asked him where should I drink coffee. He says there is no coffee in New York. (laughs) <laughs> go to this tea place i went to tech company and i told her look i drink coffee i never drink tea what should i drink she brought me this tea that tastes like honey mm-hmm. and i asked her like she explained me well this tea it gets bite by this bug that actually got to meet the bug when i was in taiwan and if the plant produces an enzyme that helps to get away these bugs but this enzyme is going to assimilate what honey tastes like my drinking was like mind-blowing. So when I met Jordan, I said, hey, dude, it's true, actually, that there is a freaking bug that bites this plant and creates this flavor. And that's how he told me, who told you that? No, this antique company. Oh, you know, Nate, that's how we show the world is so small. And Nate was his East Coast guy. But that's how this place was the place that I taste for the first time, specialty tea. And it's a tiny little space, amazing food, amazing tea. So you no, think, there is some regions like New York has these tea drunk. They have multiple in New York. You think there's anything we can learn from the tea shops that can be transferred to the coffee shops and how they approach tea? It's hard because I don't think when you are a coffee person, you don't have patience. Coffee is no patience. And if you learn that, that's why the hardest thing for tea to sell is I don't want to wait three minutes. And And the hardest thing for me to sell matcha, which matcha was... For me, it's a, such an important drink for for you. Matcha is, if you learn matcha, it's mind-blowing. But sadly, it's one of the worst drinks that you can have in a shop. Because they buy this Amazon matcha, and, and it's already dark green. Like, it's already, it's oxidized. It's pure, pure, no. That's a mistake, man. Tea, matcha is not oxidized because it's a process. And they stop oxidation. They cook, they steam in Japan, they steam the leaves so when they when it's darker that's mold it's already the the matcha was already exposed to moisture so it started mm. extracting yeah, and that's why it's darker matcha should be neon but that's their knowledge you can even be drinking freaking mold mm. but either way matcha it's it's and then when i was trying to sell matcha i said it takes the same time to make an espresso people don't believe it they think it's just gonna take time customers don't have time to wait so, and that's tea. So I think it's hard. I, I think what we can learn from it is patience and, and it's possible. Uh, Denver, you come, spirit is everywhere. And they learn, they went from a affordable, super affordable tea that just tea bag and see you later, put in a cup, see bye to the customer. And now they talk to the customer, hey, you should wait, take to taste this, show them the leaves. I think maybe it's hard. For business owners to understand, but they will learn patience. They will find better. And in that patience, you can incorporate coffee when you can explain processing. Yeah, definitely. I think we've, we went through our questions with you, Danielle. Nice, dude. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for your time. No, man, that was awesome. 
Is there anything you want to leave us with? Uh, any shout outs? Yeah, I want to tell you about Kim Hock and uh, Hindi yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. in Spanish. So it was my first day and my first, when I started with Spirit Tea, we were doing the competition here in Novo, the barista mm-hmm. competition. Yeah. And they came, they were there and I was serving this. I didn't know anything about tea, dude. And I was mm-hmm. serving it. And then Eugenia drink it and I said, oh, this is not good. You have to, you have to brew it like, she didn't, didn't say that because you know her. Yeah, she's, she's not nice. going to say that. Yeah. She said, oh, you should try to drink it, to brew it shorter or do this. That was my first experience with both of them. Well, that's amazing. And then, yeah, it was amazing. And then, I, I, yeah, that's when I met both of them. Nice. So, yeah, they taught me tea in a coffee place. <laughs> they taught you tea. <laughs> yeah. That's so yeah, and, then, and then I get to visit you guys and, and visit them and, the experience with them with tea is my, such a beautiful couple. Oh, for sure. Yep. Yeah. They had so much tea. I, when I lived with them, Eugenia, yeah. Eugenia had <laughs> like a hundred teas. I remember and they were all amazing. She would always brew these you awesome me teas. This, this freaking fermented Japanese tea. I, I tried it. Yep. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, I it's like sour believe. plum. Yeah. Yes. I couldn't believe those exist because... When it's pretty tea, we never carry it. I always think the machine cut, super fancy green teas. And then she brought me this ugly, dark brown <laughs> leaf. And it tasted like freaking amazing. Yeah. Yeah, those teas are so good. Yeah, really... I think it's my my favorite one. I think Japanese fermented tea, it's mind-blowing. Yeah. I think that's the closest... I just remind me of those freaking amazing super citric acid coffees. Yeah. Sure. So yeah, that's my 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 last note is those two teaching you coffee and tea at the same time. <laughs> such yeah. a such a good couple, right? Yeah, one drinks yeah. coffee, one drinks tea. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect pair. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Mind blowing. I was I was impressed. I was yeah. really, really impressed. Really happy to get to meet them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we need to have you back down here. Yeah, I hope so. I was hoping to go there. Then all this freaking chaos and hopefully it gets better now that you are more Democrats down there. Maybe I'm going to them now. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> that, was a, <laughs> that was a bad joke. I mean, when I, like, I'm sorry, we need to go, but uh, I remember going to Phoenix for the first time. I feel like in Barbie land, right? Like blonde hair girl, blonde hair guy, super tall and strong, right? Yeah. For that sure. was interesting. That was really interesting. But I really, really liked it. I have so much fun there and, and Tucson as well. Yeah. yeah really, definitely. really good people. Yeah. Well, we'd love to have you back. Yeah. Um, is Thank there you anything so much, you, guys. Yeah. Is there anything you want to, anyone you want to shout out or any followings you want to have? Any places people can find you? Ah, well, day one of my Instagram is just full of kids. Kids yeah. and... Beautiful photography. Yeah, I, stopped, I kind of stopped doing coffee and tea because you get... I got in a moment that I was visiting shops and people were like, why you don't come to my shop? Like, something like that. So what I do... Yeah, I just... I, my passion is photography. It's not a job. I don't want photography to be a job. I love taking pictures and my it's my passion. Uh, no... Yeah, I don't know. No worries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to roasters like you guys that try to support producers trying to reduce the power of middlemen. Yeah. 
that's, that's, that's what we're trying to do. <laughs> that's where my main goal, but, but yeah. Awesome. Thank you for yeah, facilitating thank you. that. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, Keep roasting good coffee. Yeah, thanks, man. All right, man. You have, have a great a, night. Have a good don't, night. Don't, don't don't listen to Herbert. See you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see man. You, man. <laughs> Bye. See you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you want to hear more, please subscribe in any of the places you listen to podcasts. We will also be posting to our Instagram and Twitter, as well as uploading clips of these episodes to YouTube. For more information and where to follow us, please check out the show notes. Thank you.